0: Check out Heritage Radio fifteen to donate and enter to win today. That's Heritage Radio fifteen to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March thirty first. Thank you.
1: Welcome to Wheels Off, a show about the messy reality of the creative life. I'm Rhett Miller. Vance Powell has won Grammys. Vance Powell is at the pinnacle of the list of uh, album mixers, record producers, go-to guys. He works with Jack White. He works with Chris Stapleton. He came up doing live sound for Tammy Wynette. He has done everything. And he's sweet and funny and hilarious. I know him better than most of my guests on Wheels Off just because we've made a couple of records together. We've done a lot of work in the studio. We've done a lot of hours uh, from El Paso to Nashville and on and on. He is one of my favorite people because his level of expertise is so high, but he never seems to lord it over you. He always seems to be open to suggestion. He is incredibly collaborative in a creative setting. And he's really funny. He's really sweet and funny and he laughs easily. He's all about keeping it light, but working hard and making sure you get the best album at the end of the day that you could possibly get. His art form is not something that most people understand, especially the mixing. Um, you know, uh, artists will send him recorded tracks and then he will have to assemble those tracks into a finished product. You know, there's a a big distance, a a wide gulf between the way something sounds when you just lay it to tape and the way it sounds when it comes out of your speakers as a finished product. But Vance is one of the very best in the world, uh, despite whatever his humility forces him to proclaim. He's one of the best in the world at doing that. And there's a reason that he's as in demand as he is. Uh, But I feel like he also does a really great job of trying to explain what it is that he does and how he gets the incredible results that he gets. So I'm really grateful to have Vance Powell on this episode of Wheels Off. I know it's longer than normal. That's just because Vance and also me. I love talking to Vance. Uh, There's a lot of F-bombs, a lot of S-bombs. There's some other bombs in there. Sorry, that's just the way it is usually in the tour bus, in the recording studio. Um, I I think you guys will get a lot out of this, even if you're not a recording um, musician, even if your area of expertise or interest lies far afield. I think there's still a lot to be had in this conversation. So please welcome to Wheels Off the great Vance Powell. Welcome to Wheels Off, Vance Powell. Thank you so much for joining me today.
2: You are most welcome, Rad. I'm happy to be here.
1: God though. I've gotta say the beard is looking more lustrous than ever.
2: well, I've gotta be honest with you today I might have brushed it and <laughs> and shampooed it for you so uh of course, the fans aren't gonna see it, but uh, yes, today it is a little uh a little luxurious.
1: It gets incredible, damn um. <laughs> So uh, what creative project are you working on at the moment, Vance? And how does it light you up?
2: How, what am I working on? at the moment? Well, uh, you know, I'm always working on things that I can't talk about, which is hilarious. Uh, um, <laughs> I, I think the thing that probably, let's see, what, what am I, you know, uh, hmm, let me, let me think here. Let me, let me scroll around through the memory in my mind. Um, there's always something going on that's cool uh, that I people I've worked with before. Let me just do this. Um, I am working on a record with an artist that I've worked on before, but we're in hiatus right now till September. Um, and so that could be a number of people. Um, I've done a couple of uh, spatial audio mixes for one of my old clients. That could be cool at some point. Uh, But I'll tell you what's out now that I'm super excited about. Uh, My good friend Nate Bergman uh, put out a record uh, called Metaphysical Change. It's out now. You can find it anywhere. Fucking love that record. And then the Bobby Lees. The Bobby Lees, uh, who are from Woodstock, up by you there. And you know some of their their parents, I think. Uh, Their record will be coming out that like their next single, they're gonna they're gonna drop a single I think later this week. But they got a bunch of cool videos, they got a bunch of cool stuff. They're one of the best live bands. I mean, they are furious, man. They are so good. Uh, I'm really excited about that. So you know, there's always there's always cool things going on. You know, I'm uh I've got um I got a crazy summer, a bunch of records I'm mixing, uh, and then in in uh, August. Uh, Diane and I, uh, we go out to San Francisco for a friend of mine's wedding reception. And then we fly to Oslo. And I, we go about eight hours north of Oslo up into the up on the ocean to this studio called Ocean Sand, which is beautiful, to do a record with my good friend Karina Franson. And then down to London via Amsterdam to do a record, uh, another record with my friend Stephen Del Pettit, who's kind of an English blues guy. And then over to Reykjavik, Iceland, to do a studio consult with uh, my buddy Chris Funk from the Decemberists. Wow, and Cronin, a few other people. So, and then back. So, and Di's going with me the whole time, which is going to be fantastic. And um, you know, so that's August, and then I and then I come right back. I literally fly back right into uh, continuing um, with this record Uh, that's a record of an artist that I work with all the time. That's a big name and I can't talk about it.
1: So, okay. So our listeners are going to be even less, no, even more mystified than I am just by the way your life works. So to kind of, um, to kind of lay it out, you mix albums, you produce and record albums. I do. You do studio consults. You. Yeah.
2: That's kind of a side thing, but yeah. Yeah. I mean, I've built a few studios. Yeah. So, I mean, I was I was a part of the build, this part of the team that built Blackbird. I mean, I didn't do it myself, but mm-hmm. I was a part of it. Um, and then this place here, the the I mean, I didn't hammer boards, and Mike did. Mike hammered some boards, <laughs> but um, but the infrastructure, the studio, how the studio wiring, that you know, the stu- the working part of the studio. You know, I've built a bunch of them now, and so that's all the things that people are asking me questions about. They're not they're not asking me where to put the walls and things. They're saying, okay, why do we need to put in these walls to make the studio work, like wiring and you know the infrastructure and all that. Um, I am I am producing a record. I can't. I think I can talk about. Um, there's a couple artists that um, are sort of in different bands that are gonna are doing a solo record, and they've been touring a little bit. And that's uh, Rome, who tours with Sublime, uh, Roman Perez, and then uh, Duddy from the Dirty Heads. So they're doing a record together. We we've, we've done like five songs, really cool stuff. Um, that's going to be coming out here at some point. But I think actually that's we're finishing mixes on that today, so. Was,
1: was the first time you met Rome in El Paso with us when we were side yes. by side? That's, that's exactly hilarious. right.
2: That's exactly right. I forgot. That's great. Yeah, he, that's exactly right. Yeah. And it was crazy because I was like, oh, man, so nice to meet you. He's like, oh, dude, man. And now he lives like a mile from me here, <laughs> you know, and uh, so stops by and we hang out. Yeah. So he, he's great, man. What a what a great and talented person, man. He's talented. Intense guy. Yeah. so. Yeah, he's cute. You're, so the
1: the short uh, answer to kind of what you do for those those mystified listeners. Yeah, so I'm
2: I mix records. You make records. You make I, records. I, I mix records a lot. Yeah, yeah. I yeah, record yeah. records some. Um, I, I really don't record anything that I'm not producing except for like say Chris Stapleton. Um, <laughs> but with Chris, our our level like like what I am allowed to do on the record is so. It's so open ended that you know, I and he's so appreciative of it to me that you know it's it's not a production. I'm not producing the record, but but I'm definitely sort of producing the um, the recording of the record. And I, I, no, I should stop. Don't say that. Hey, Rhett, can can I pause a minute? Of course. It's my mom.
1: Hey. Okay. Hold on. We'll have the editor cut this out.
2: Hey, how you doing? Happy birthday to you. Oh, hold, hold on one second. Hold on. My friend, Rhett, I'm going to see if I can get Rhett to sing. Happy birthday to you.
1: Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday. birthday Vance's mom. Happy birthday to you.
2: Woo! He sounds so much better than you yeah, he does. He's, he's an actual professional singer. So, Hey, can I, well, you're most welcome. So I'm, I'm doing this podcast with him right now. So let me call you back a little bit. Is that cool? Okay. I love you. Did you get your, get your flowers? You get your flowers. I okay. did. Yes, thank you. All right. Okay. Call you a minute. bye. Uh-huh. Bye. It's... Actually leave that in. It's great. <laughs> you got the same thing as my brother. I love that Vance. That's uh, great. Yeah. Oh, so back to what I was saying. Please leave that in. It's fine. Okay. Um, <laughs>
0: uh,
2: so, um yeah, I make re- I mix records. The 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 what I do with Chris is so cool. He lets me do what I want. And that's awesome. That's the greatest thing an artist can do is just be like, "Yeah, whatever you're doing, I like it. Keep going. I'll concentrate on the music. You concentrate on the way it sounds. That's really what works out." So him and Dave, they concentrate on the music, and then when we all come in, we listen. If something, we all talk about it. It's all very diplomatic. It's great. So that's that's awesome. Um, And like I said, in mix records, people hire me to mix records, and um, and and people hire me to produce records every now and then the old 97s that's one of them yeah
1: which i wonder about this because you know your schedule i mean you or someone maybe that works for Mm -hmm. you knows your schedule for months and months and months out and so you're making a lot of choices about things that are way out in the distance and and i wonder because i know like you're about as in demand as somebody gets in your position and
2: like how do you choose? i mean to a to a degree but i mean i'm booked at this point uh every basically every day is accounted for until the last day of october wow and then but you've made a lot of choices within that and you've
1: probably chosen projects that don't pay as much as other projects that you've turned down because you won't like them and want to do them i mean what's your sort of criteria yeah i mean
2: i mean people send things to me they want me to mix it and and you know we politely pass all the time mm-hmm. because it either is just not very good or it just doesn't excuse me, it doesn't fit into it doesn't fit into what I would normally do, although to be honest with you, the more out there and weird it is, the more excited I am about trying it out. I mean, you know, uh, I have mixed a jazz record, a Norwegian black jazz band, you know I've, I've, I mean, I would love to do all different styles, but you know most people kind of equate me to this sort of loud rock thing or, or then the Stapleton thing, which is sort of not that, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. But I mean, you know, in, in my time in this world, I've, I've recorded mixed a lot of people and a lot of different artists and just a lot of different stuff. And so, you know, um, I don't know the right word, but like, you know, I, I like to try out the limits. I, I like to try out different stuff. You know, I like to do it. Uh, sometimes financially it works out that I can do it. And sometimes the financial works out that I shouldn't do it. And I just do it anyway. <laughs> um, but, you know, there are those times when I have to just politely decline and, and usually it's because, the band just isn't quite there yet, mm-hmm. you know, or, or the artist isn't quite there yet. And sometimes the artist needs more than I can give. I, I passed a, a, a gig recently to my partner, Mitch, because what the artist needed was a singer-songwriter sort of view of producing a record. And that is really not me at all. I'm more like the, put the band together. Let's, you know, let's fight that dynamic, which is completely different. One dynamic is, okay, I'm going to do everything. I'm going to put all the band together and the singer songwriter is going to uh, fit into that. Sometimes that's great. Sometimes it's not great. I've, I've done both. And to be honest with you, I kind of like bands, even though, you know, you have to fight with guitar players and bass players and drummers and singers <laughs> and all the things that make bands bands. But, you know, if, if, if someone comes to me and they're like, well, I've got this sketch of a song and I want to make a record, I just usually just pass. Yeah. And, you know, actually, it's funny, the Bobby Lees, that's kind of how I met them. Uh, Sam sent me some demos of just her playing guitar and singing, and I, I, just, I just didn't hear where it was going. And the thing was, is that her demos were really, really like as rudimentary, just chords and words, but not even really with tempo or intent, you know, like I didn't really, I was just like, I don't really get it. And then um, they cut that, they cut this, that first record with John Spencer. And I was like, oh, I get it now. Yeah. You know, and, and, but it, it required. Sorry, could you say save- it required that's funny. It required her getting in a band situation to make it work. So most of the people I
1: interview for these are, you know, poets or novelists or songwriters. You mean or people with real talent? No, no, no. Well, this is what I want you to maybe help me explain because I've seen it in action and I, I sort of know what it is because I've seen it happening, the magic happening. But so when you go in to produce an album or to, or to mix something, which I think that you're just, you're super magical at that. Um, y- what you're doing is inherently artistic in, in my opinion. And, and I feel like it's almost as if someone's handing you with all these tracks that they give you recorded tracks, they're handing you like a palette of colors, and then it's your job to assemble them into a picture. So that in I itself say, it becomes like yeah. an art.
2: I would say they're handing me a palette of colors and um, like a very thin framework of the picture. Like, like, you know, okay, well, like this is sort of a sunset and this is sort of a beach and, you know, but, but, but it doesn't have to be a beach, you know, <laughs> this beach could be a volcano this, you know, the sunset could be on Mars. You know, they, it's that sort of vibe, you, but you're, you're exactly right. I mean, um, Mixing other people's work is sort of like, it's not like, it's not like, it's not like polishing a ball that's already there. It's like, okay, I'm going to hand you this uh, sort of a cube and it's sort of a color that we sort of like, and now we want a really polished shiny ball out of it, you know, or, or we want this, uh, we want this cube of, stuff that's or not even a cube we want it flat and not shiny we want it flat and bumpy okay well you know it requires a hammer or whatever yeah. and sometimes sometimes like sometimes with mixes they require a hammer and sometimes they were they require a lot of sanding and buffing and polishing and sometimes you 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 just take a hammer to it after you've done all that I have actually lost gigs because people have said it sounds too good. Mm -hmm. Now for me, that's sort of like the dumbest best thing that can ever happen. If someone says, I love this. It just, it sounds so good. I just don't think we want it this nice. I'm like, okay, well, hmm, you know, use your rough mix. (laughs) and you know and people have done that yeah now is that good it might be maybe that was what they really wanted all along you know maybe they just wanted to wanted somebody to take a shot at it so they could say yeah yeah i like mine better you know i've definitely done that i mixed a record by band that will remain nameless uh that got some accolades uh, a, a couple years back got a bunch of well i said a couple years a few years back and they were these kids, these brothers who were super talented. And they made this record that sounded like, like pet sounds. And they learned all the instruments. They played all the instruments. And, you know, they were like, they were like New Yorker, Long Island, um, uh, Broadway kids. Super nice guys. They came. I mixed the entire record. And then the label loved it. Everybody loved it. But then, like, two weeks later, they're like, yeah, we're not going to use any of it. We're just going to use our roughness. Mm. Do you think that might be, like, a fear of success? No, I don't think it was. I think it was eighteen-year-old uh, kids uh, asserting their dominance over, oh, uh, yeah, okay. you know, that create their artistic vision. I, I didn't hardly change any of it. I just made it a little more commercial, which is exactly what a record label who's trying to sell records wants. Yeah. Um, but and they were here with me the whole time, so it wasn't like I just did it and sent it to them. Not none. Doesn't matter to me, actually. Nope. Doesn't matter to me at all. I, I got paid for my time. It's great. And and that went on, did something else. Um It's not, uh to be honest with you, I've never actually lost a mixed gig I did that I regretted. That I was full of regret for, for losing it, <laughs> you know, and you know, in this business, the business that I'm in, Rhett, you know, uh, a good friend of mine, uh, Reed Shippen, always says, "If you're not getting fired once in a while, you're not trying hard enough." <laughs> and it's and it's because sometimes my the the vision that I have of the song is which is it's not a vision, it's a thing, an auditory vision in my head, isn't what the artist wants. And and those are two sort of not like immovable. It's just. You know, sometimes I don't think they're right and they know I'm wrong and that's okay. And then we go, okay, cool. Great. You know,
1: in the end, it's a, it's a subjective thing.
2: Well, I mean, everything we do is subjective. Mm-hmm. Everything we, we, we are in the, we are in the most subjective business in the world. We make something that people may like yeah. and hopefully buy, they <laughs> may like it and hopefully they buy it. And you know that, it, the interesting thing about this business, whether I think you're a songwriter, a singer, a poet, an artist, is that you know I have this I have this weird uh, diatribe that I go on about about you know over here in my left hand is art, and art is art, right? And over here in my right hand is commerce. Commerce pays for art. Art inspires commerce. If we don't have art, we won't have commerce in the art world, yeah. music, whatever, you know, because there's a lot of commerce over here on the right. That is complete bullshit.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Right. We all know what it is. I'm not going to bring you names up. But we know what it <laughs> is. It's complete bullshit. And and yes, it makes money. Five years from now, it will be lost 10 years from now, nobody will give a shit. Can I say shit? Yeah, nobody to... will care a bit about it. None of it. It will be lost in time. Over here, you have art that no one buys that people love. And people will continue to love it. Now that doesn't mean they buy it, it just means they love it. Sometimes they buy it. And when they do buy it, that's commerce. Commerce funds. Art, art creates commerce. That's the other it. So, you know, that's my left hand, right hand version of this sort of world we live in. If we make, if we make a record and we sell records, we get to make more records. And that's, you know, that's the bottom line. That's a that's a Laurie Anderson quote, which I thought was fantastic. You know, from an artist that never really sold a lot of records, but she said it's really simple. If we if we make records and they sell, we get to make more records. I love that. So,
1: well, that's a that's a beautiful dichotomy. There's another dichotomy at work with the thing that you do. Like, I'm looking at you right now on our Zoom call. You're surrounded by these machines and blinking lights and the kind of technology that just gives me a headache to even think about. And you are a master of the technology, but I don't think That I know, I know for a fact that's not your whole job. By the way, I never ask other guests to explain what they do as much as (laughs) I am with you, just because I feel like people don't understand what it is. But so I've watched you like use with mastery all of these machines that I'm seeing in your in your studio. Thank you. But I don't feel like that's necessarily your job. Like I feel like your job is more has to do with your ears, your instincts, your taste. Um, do you have a theory about what is the balance for you? Like what what makes you so good at your job, the balance between your technical mastery and your sort of the ineffable qualities of your tastemaker, ear producer thing.
2: (laughs) uh, Well, thank you for all that, Rad. I appreciate that. The check's in the mail. (laughs) Um, (laughs) um, Well, look, um, you know, Malcolm Gladwell's deal about 10,000 hours, I crossed 10,000 hours 20 years ago, you know? So um, my history in this business uh, this year, by the way, this year right now is my 40th year. Wow. Doing this. Uh, I came out of high school and really right out of high school, I started pulling around with bands and working with bands. So, so, it, my 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 math is a little fuzzy, but I have a feeling it would be a little later this year—November, October, November, sub September, somewhere in there of '82 when I um, was long out of high school and was in college and started hanging out with my buddy, and he had a band and all that. And so, you know, I spent 20 years on the road touring, doing live sound. Um, you know, on my my first band, we had an El Camino, and that's how we got to the gig with the, all the PA in the back. You know, there was a ranchero actually, and then we got a then we had a school bus, which was a fucking nightmare. You know, and then I was in a van, like everybody was for a long time, and people still, you know, still in a van. And then after a van, it was a bus, and then the buses, more buses, and the last tour was on. I was on was about a you know nine trucks or something like that you know, nine trucks, seven buses, whatever, you know, but big tour. That being said, um, that world and the world I'm in now are so locked together in my talents, as they will, I'm using quotation marks, you can, mm-hmm. you can see air quotes, uh, because it's really the only thing I know how to do. I I had a, I had a real serious moment that, uh, a little while back where uh, Diane and I were talking. I was like, I think I am qualified to do this and teach. I could teach this right really well. Beyond that, it's Walmart greeter and fry dropper. Those are my talent skills. I could go, hey, how you doing today? Welcome to Walmart. Bathrooms are in the back, you know. Uh, and I could probably go, fries, making the making the shaking the fries thing. Hit the timer, beep, hot fries. You know, I could do that. Um, beyond that, those are the things I I, I know I could do pretty well. Um, beyond beyond all that, the technology behind me is a life's work worth of accumulating shit that will uh, makes my job easier. Now, the reality is, I'm speaking to you on this computer. And everything behind me is in this computer. I can do it in this computer. I just don't like to do it as well as this big ass console over here and all the gear behind me. I'd much rather sit behind this console. It's a much better palette, you know, for what I do than the computer, than the screen. Will I probably end my career just in this screen? Yep. Mm. pretty confident yeah. because you know technology the way what people want what how we make records all that you know i mean i have a big tape machine back here it's over there you know hadn't been on a year and why well because uh you know a 15 minute reel of tape is 300 hmm. and the last record i did fully on tape where it stayed on tape the entire period of its life was uh, 15 rolls, 15 reels of tape. Now, that actually is very small. Like, that's a low number. Um, I have a feeling, I don't know, I should ask you, my friend Ryan Hewitt just did the new Chili Peppers record, all analog. I think there's over 250 reels. Oh, my God. 250 reels of multi-track and two hundred reels of uh, of half inch. That's like
1: a million dollars of tape or something. Half a million. Good God! Three
2: hundred dollars a reel, so it's not that bad. But okay, yeah, a couple hundred thousand. Sure. Oof. I mean, a hundred reels would be. uh, Sure. Three hundred a reel. Three hundred thousand. Yeah. Okay. So I wonder a thousand about reels. A thousand reels would be at 300, it'd be
1: 30,000. Okay. So I, I wonder, I wonder about this. Um, so sometime before that moment, 40 years ago, mm-hmm. you must have had a vision that this, some version of this was going to be your life, right? No. Or did it dawn on you? Like after you were already well down the path, was there no. an, epi- epi- an epiphany moment where, you know, like, I'm going to be, you know, a kick-ass producer, mixer, the nope. dude, nope. no, no,
2: no. No. So all (laughs) through high school. So first of all, two things, my, my two grandfathers, one of them was a stonemason. Okay. But he was, he was an electronics genius masquerading as a stonemason. My other grandfather was an engineer, like a engineer in the terms of like, big engines, car engines. He was a mechanical engineer. That was his deal. Uh, he ran hotels in Vegas in the forties and fifties and sixties. He ran mines in the twenties and thirties and forties. I mean, he ran engines, those two guys, my father, uh, uh Ray Powell, um, he, uh, I mean, last time I saw him was 30 years ago, so I don't know, but he was a, uh, master machinist. Um, all of that sort of weeded its way down to me where I understand technical things really well. In high school, I went to college classes for electronics three hours a day in a high school, my junior and senior year. So when, while that was happening, I graduated in 1982. That's a long time ago. And, um, in 82, you know, the personal computer thing was happening. Um, apples apple twos you know all that and so i started getting into that my senior year and then i went into college i spent a year in college uh, in computer programming but that year that i was in college was the year all this while too by the way i was a kid i had a cool stereo I had a really cool stereo you know <laughs> and i loved listening to records i loved listening to music and somewhere in there a buddy of mine started was playing guitar and he was Needed. They needed some guy to come turn the knobs on their little four channel Spectra uh, PA head, 100 watt head with uh, EV banana uh, column speakers. He's like banana shaped column speakers. Crazy line of race speakers and uh, so we 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 did i did went over there and they had a garage band they played in a garage with the door open they lived outside of town and people would come and sit in the driveway and like drink and listen to his band plays hilarious but um i started hanging out with them and just you know i just i just started i always loved music and then suddenly i saw this path you know like i could do this i could mix bands i can learn how to do it and you know, within, within three years, I was doing it professionally and working in a studio in 85. So I graduated in 82. I was working in a studio in 85, you know, and I came into the studio. And this is real well documented in about 900 other podcasts. But I went to a studio in Joplin called Massey Studio. My friend Rick Massey owned it. And uh, a friend of mine, Greg Kretzinger's band was going to record, but the engineer was sick. So Greg was like, can I get Vance? And Rick knew me, knew I was a sound guy. He said, yeah, sure. I'll show him what's going on. He came in. I had been working at a little, at a little studio, a little eight track studio. So I understood this was a 16 track, much bigger. And I started kind of getting sounds and he helped me with a few things. And then he just kind of was like, all right, I think you got it. And he left. And about six o'clock that night, he comes in, he goes, uh, here's the key. Come see me tomorrow. And I was like, okay, I'll bring your key. He goes, no, no, no. Key's yours. You're the new engineer. You're better than us. You're better than any of us. You're the new guy. <laughs> and I was like, okay. So uh, I started working for him in the evenings, doing sessions for five bucks an hour. And that lasted up until 89. And, and then I went on and did a whole bunch of other things. None of that really matters. It's just part of the whole, like, I wanted to do this. I went back to live sound, I moved to Springfield, Missouri. I met my, my good friend, mentor, um, dearly. I miss him to death, uh, Lou Whitney. I started touring with his band. I worked at a club. I toured with his band. I got. I started working in his studio. I hooked up with Tammy Winnett, went and moved to Nashville, was out of the studio for years, blah, 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 blah. All that being said, look, it's 40 years of turning knobs and making music. You know, and, and I don't know, Rhett. This is what I like to do. And this is I'm blessed that the one thing I'm good at that I know of other than like eating and I'm not even that good at sleeping anymore. But, you know, eating and uh, breathing, I'm pretty good at. And uh, and this I I get to do the thing that I love, you know, and I get paid for it. And, 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 you know, and that's great. It's awesome. And sometimes I get paid well for it, you know, and sometimes I don't.
1: Uh, do um do you remember when it dawned on you that this was going to be, that this was really going to work? That, like you were really good at this. When I,
2: I, think when I'm, I think when I, I moved to Nashville, mm-hmm. like when I got the offer to come work for Tammy Wynette in Nashville, I knew that the step from Little Springfield, Missouri, you know, which is a college town. And I got to be honest with you, I loved living there. I lived with two girls. It was great. And uh, we had a cool house. My entire monthly nut was 350 bucks a month. I mean, that was it, you know, I was a little more than that. I actually, it was a little more than that, but I mean, I was, you know, I was driving 500 miles to work. That didn't make any sense, you know, but when I moved to Nashville, I, I kind of, at that point was like, okay, I'm in music city. I'm here. I just need to keep this gig long enough to get to know people to move to the next thing whatever the next thing is i tried to do studio work but the that that's in the this would have been uh 91 92, 92 something like that 93 somewhere in our 92 93 it was it was that i wasn't going to get in unless i went in as an underling an intern work for free that whole deal and i was like fuck that i'm touring i'm you know i'm making good money what i thought was good money at the time you know I'm on the road. I'm going to Europe, you know, whatever. I'm, I'm the boss of my, I'm the boss of all this. Why do I want to go work at a studio as an intern? Why do I want to make people coffee? You know, uh, these people don't know what I can do, blah, blah, blah. And the thing was, is that I probably should have just to learn some Nashville stuff that I had to kind of learn the hard way. Um, But, you know, I can still fucking mix. And that's, that's what it comes down to. I can, I can make a sound, I can make a record and I could do it then too. So, you know, if I would have, if I would have stuck it out or found the right place, but you got to remember in 99 and 2000, there was no pro tools. There wasn't, I mean, there was, well, not, not really, but whatever. there wasn't any sort of thing in a computer where a guy like me could spend $3,000 and go to a house, set up some microphones with some mic cables and make a record. All right. You know, in 1990 or um, in 93, when I moved to night two and I moved to Nashville, um, this console, which sold, which I, well, I didn't buy it then, but it was sold in 86. This console was $309,000. Oh, that tape machine back there was $48,000. Right. In I 86. Mean, in 86. Wow. So, you know, all of this was way outside my, <laughs> like, the, my ability to do it. You know, I would, I, I think in 92 or 93, I think I was making $30,000 a year, you know. And I, you know, you know. And so um, that wasn't going to happen. It just <laughs> wasn't. Now, this console that was $309,000 in 1986, I paid. $30,000 for seven years ago. And then I put $15,000 in it and I put another $15,000 in it since. And I probably have another $10,000 in it before I finally sell it. And I'll sell it for $40,000. <laughs> Received it's just the way value. Things are. Yeah. It's just the way things are. But, you know, behind me here, there's, there's some gear that I didn't pay a lot of money for. That's worth a lot of money now. And that's kind of where it all will sort of balance out. I have microphones. I mean, I have a microphone I paid $8,000 for that I've done the last couple of Chris Stapleton records on. That Provence itself may make that mic worth $30,000, $40,000. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's that kind of thing. I recorded you on it.
1: Oh, yeah. And it sounded great. Mm-hmm.
2: For something we did recently.
1: Oh, yeah. More secrets. Um, So Vance, you you're at the top of. I mean, you're too humble to. You well, I'm probably, not at the top. I'm not at the top of anything.
2: I, oh, I'm at come the on. top of your list. No, listen. And you're just at the top. Stop, of don't list.
1: argue with me. I'm the host. Okay. Okay. So the in the big picture, like you're at the you're at the top of your field. You are the best in the business, and you exude this very calm sort of confidence. You don't really seem like you ever get rattled. But I know that you're like. I know that you're a pretty sensitive guy. I wonder when you come up against things that do rattle you, things that, <laughs> especially kind of interior stuff, stuff where you're kind of the voices in your own head are telling you, oh yeah, ne- negative stuff. I wonder what have you figured out to, to deal with. Well, that?
2: look, I think all all of us that make art for a living or are part of creating art for a living, I think, I think a. F- the, the only, let me rephrase it. It's a fool who says they don't have imposter syndrome uh, if they're creating, right? Um, I struggle with everything I do later. Here, the funny part is, is that, uh, you know, the five stages of, uh, you know, there's all these stages of grief and denial and all these things, I'm sure, you know. For me, it's always like, wow, this is great. This is fucking awesome. I love this. And then three days later, I'm like, oh, man, this is terrible. (laughs) I hate it. And then like three more days later, I'm like, no, 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 I I can work with this. It's going to be great. It's going to be good. And then a year and then I go, oh, you know, I'm i got to get this done. Okay, God, it sucks. It's terrible. It's the end of my career. And then a year later, I go, wow, that sounds pretty good. You know, and I think that's the arc of everything we do. We love this thing we're doing right now. We love it. Then. We don't know if we love it and we don't know if it loves us. And then we, we tolerate it. And then we, we have to get it done. You know, I mean, uh, Red, I know I've said this to you, you know, records are never done. They're just turned in, you know, I mean, uh, no one, no, uh, no one else can make Chinese democracy. You know what I'm saying? You can't spend 12 years on a record. You just can't do it. Because first of all, well, you can't even really spend a year on a record. I've, I've done it once. And to be honest with you, the, the songs we started with never made the end. And some of the ones we started with were great. But there was so much road in between point A and point B. Everybody lost the target. We lost We lost where it was going, where it needed to go. So, um, you know, that's kind of the thing. I I think that all of us have that thing deep down in us that, struggles when we don't know you know okay i don't know how we're going to do this how we're going to pull this off or i don't know how i'm going to make this happen i you know i've i am i'm a i'm i'm really calm person until i'm not and and that's my, my friend reed reed Shippen again has this great quote he's like yeah you know in nashville we're nice until we're not and that's that's kind of that's kind of the deal like i'm I-, I toured for 20 years to get the things that you need is not th- you-, you don't go to the stage hands and say guys you know you bunch of fucking assholes look fuck you i'm the artist i'm with so-and-so let me tell okay. you how it's going to be because you will get nothing and like it, you'll be you'll be screwed. You have to go and say, guys, how you doing, man? How's things? You, you guys good? So you guys need some water? You need things? You know, look, I got crew sheets shirts for you later. Hey, I've got this truck. We need to get it unloaded. I'm a little behind schedule. Can I'm gonna come in the truck and I'm gonna help you pump this out? We're gonna do it together. You've got to sort of. That's part of the producing records. Look, we're in this room. We've got you know you know. So here's a here's a good question for you, Rhett. Do you know what the producer's job is in making a record? What do you think it is? And then I'm going to tell you what it is, because that's what producers do. They tell you. What. <laughs> um,
1: I'm going to say uh, getting the best performance from the artist and capturing it in the best way possible on two tape. Nope. What?
2: That's not it. It's not really. It's part of it. The, the producer's job is to take an amount of money. <laughs> in an amount of talent, right? So you've got this this amount of talent. Here's my left and right hand thing again. You've got this ball of money. That's not really a ball anymore. It's more like a, kind of like a small stack. And then you've got this ball of talent, this raw talent. And between you, between the two, you have time. The more time goes on, the less money you have and the less talent you have actually. but the, But so- Your job is to take these two things, smash them together into this, you know, physical thing that creates a product that people want to buy. The byproduct of that is to get the best performance, to get the best sounds, to get all that on tape. Because if you get the best songs, the best sounds, the best artistry on tape, people will actually buy it. If you take all the money in the world and you take this tiny fragment, a rice-sized pea of, of talent, and you stick them together, you will get a big, tiny piece of shit that nobody cares about, <laughs> right? It, that's, that's how it is. So, so part of the job of the producer is I try to make people comfortable in my, in my world, which is their world, their world, my world, you know? And then I try to make sure that everybody feels like the wheels aren't coming off. You know, that, that the trailer is, is behind the truck going down the road. It's got all the gear in it and it's connected to the trailer, to the truck. It's right behind us. We're right. It's right back there. And we're, we're all going to the same place. And, um, that's sort of my job now. Have I had to do things that I did not want to do? Yeah. I had an artist in here that was very talented that um, it was an artist that I was recording their songs, like producing him, the artist. But come to find out, it wasn't really that. It was really this band in the band Two guys in the band were terrible. They weren't terrible. They just just, just weren't up to making records. And so I fired them. And I hired session guys out of my cut of this. Mm. And we made the record. And then later I find out that this has caused this whole deal because these guys were in the band. And they got fired. I don't ever want to do that. This was just some, I thought it was some guys he played with. No, they were in the band, but they, they just didn't, they couldn't cut it. And it got tense. Let me yeah. tell you, it got tense the day I fired them, let him go. I mean, well, I let the drummer go first and then the bass player, it's a long story, but <laughs> let the drummer go first. I mean, I asked the drummer to play. I, I just literally said, look, can you, can you play boots and pants? Yeah. Right.
1: Boots now, those and of you who don't know anything about
2: music, Rhett is now going to do Boots and Pants for
1: me. Boots and Pants and Boots and Pants and Boots. It's also like Pat Boone, Debbie Boone, Pat Boone, Debbie Boone. Well,
2: I asked him to do that, too, and he can not <laughs> quite get Pat Boone, Debbie Boone. Yeah, Pat Boone, Debbie Boone, Pat Boone, Debbie Boone, Pat Boone, Debbie Boone. You know, like, like I go, can you just Pat Boone, Debbie Boone me? And he goes, what do you mean? Like, uh, you know, Pat is snare. Debbie, the Tom, Boone's the floor Tom. Pat yeah. Boone, Debbie Boone. Yeah, Pat boon yeah Debbie, Boom. yeah like it's it should be really easy here Boone is the tom pat is a snare debbie is the floor it's so simple couldn't get it boots mm. and pants and boots and pants like boots and pants he didn't even get what boots and pants were i was like oh my god this is gonna you know what did i get myself into you know and and all of this is to say those guys are super nice they were sweet yeah, you know, The drummer got fired, and he's like, well, I'd just like to hear why I got fired. And I said, well, okay, sit here, and I'm going to have my friend Chris Powell play this track. And then afterwards, you can tell me if if I'm wrong, if you can play it better. And we cut the track, and I, I said, so what do you think? He goes, yeah, he's, yeah you, you made the right decision. Oh. It's like one of those things. It's like, well... I mean, I wasn't trying to be an asshole. I was like, look, you have to make the decision. If you feel like I'm wrong, you can leave feeling like I'm wrong and I'm an asshole. Okay, cool. That's my job. You know, you
1: you know, something that that we kind of dance around in these conversations all the time is, is instinct and the trusting of one's instincts. And I think maybe part of that is because Instinct is kind of something you just don't talk about. It's a thing that you, you just keep going and you do the thing. Yeah. You, you have great instincts. I feel like um, I've you. trust, I've trusted them over the years, but is it something that you're conscious of like making decisions based on instinct or do you just go, go, go?
2: I think that, I think that our instinctual choices are the first things we go to. That doesn't mean they're right. It just means it's the first thing that, that comes up, uh, you know, Instinctually, there are sounds that I instinctually like. There are, there's the way in a mix, the kick drum fits that are instinctual to me because of 20 years of touring and mixing on big PA systems that I like that feel in my tracks that I mix and record. Um, doesn't make it right, doesn't make it wrong. It just means that's, that's, that's my thumbprint in the corner of the pie. You know what I mean? Like, you know, oh, look at this look at this pie. Great. Oh, why, look over here. There's a thumbprint in it. Okay, well, that's me, you know. Um, you know, or a cake maybe. I don't know. You, you mm. know what I'm saying. Like, well, there's my thumbprint. Um, and every now and then I'll have friends be like, hey, did you mix that so-and-so record? And I'm like, yeah. And they're like, I knew it. Like, okay, well. That's the instinct that I do. That happens. I know a Chad Blake record when I hear it. I mean, I love that guy, but, but, but I hear his mix and I go, Oh man, that's so cool. And, but I know it, like, I know it, you know, I feel like I know it. Clear mountain, same way. I mean, I mean, you know, I mean, he's really the kind of the pinnacle for me. So, um, you know, so that these are the people I look up to that are amazing, you know, um, And that's just, that's the best, that's the best feeling ever. You know, the best thing ever when people are like, man, I love the way that record sounds. and like, well, what about, what, did you like the record, the music? Oh, well, yeah, it was okay. I love the way it sounds. Like, I just go, oh, well, you know, now if it's something I didn't produce, then, you know, I'm like, oh, cool, great. Uh, Thanks for buying it, you know. Uh, But if it's something I produced, I'm always like, oh, well. I I did a Clutch record a couple years back. I love those guys. I mean, I really do. I love them. They're great guys. And I did one record with them. Tom Del Getty's doing did their new record. Uh, initially, I was kind of hurt by it because we worked really hard on this record. For, and We took a particular st- line on this record. I did. And that was not doing too much production I'm gonna try to keep the band like a band and do it straight. Um, 70% of their fans love it. 30% fucking hate it. Now that's partially clutch fans. That's how they roll. But, but, you know, the 30% who hate it, I'm, I'm like, well, what is it they hate? Well, they hate the me in it. And that's, that's the, that's the, that's the thing that the, the thing they hate is actually the, the not super focused production, not real sharp, not real crisp, super distorted guitars, super, everything real tight, everything edited to within an inch of its life all that that's all the things they don't like you know i gave them a band playing live now two years have gone by since i did that or three years have gone by uh do i wish i could mix that record again yep i do do i wish that i had a little more power over the songs that were on the record yep i do i wish there were i mean i was a producer but you kind of, kind of producing clutch, you're kind of producing it with them. So we did 15 songs. There should have been 12 songs on the record. But they wanted all 15.
1: If so. you could mix it again, would you make it more tight and uh, square? No,
2: no. I would just make it, I would just make it sound better. <laughs> I mean, I would just make it, I would just, I would just look at it again as a remix and do it again. Mm-hmm. Would it make people happy that it sounds like their new record now? No, not at all. I mean, Tom Dalgate, he did their new record. He did Royal Blood, he did Ghost, he did... all. I mean, that's he's in that... That's his lane. Clutch isn't exactly my lane unless you look at it in the sort of blues rock side of it. You know, the, the more C6 Steve, sort of Jack White to a degree side of it versus you know, the Pantera you know, hard rock Ghost, you know, all that side of it. So yeah, I was a little outside my lane, you know, but I mean, I love those guys. I think they're great. And I think their records, their new records going to be great. And I'm, I couldn't be happier.
1: Um, well, let me, I want to wrap it up by getting you to distill some of this wisdom into if you were to run into 21 year old Vance Powell in 2022, <laughs> in today's world, what advice would you give your young you? Uh, buy Apple? <laughs> no, but in today's
2: world, it's too late oh well i mean in a way i do that all the time because i run into these kids who are you know wanting to do this i i just tell them the exact I i would tell myself the exact same thing i tell them find yourself a way to record a band figure out a way to do it then learn your craft keep working on it keep mixing keep tweaking keep Keep doing things until you're making people happy. Get your 10,000 hours in. I, You know, I keep to say the 10,000 hours thing. I'm, it's not like, you know, like I'm a big Malcolm Lebbelt, whatever. But the reality is, is that, the, you know, you get your 10,000 hours in or so. There isn't anything that anybody can throw at me that I can't fix. I mean, I've done. Yeah, I mean, there isn't anything that anybody can throw at me, analog tape, multiple analog tape machines, multiple analog tape machines and film locking all that together, piece of cake. No big deal. Got it. Easily. Pro Tools, multiple Pro Tools systems, Atmos mixing now. I can, you know, I've had to learn how to do it. IT, have to learn how to do it. You know, all those things, I would say, be as much invested in the technology as you can be, and try your best to be more musical. 22-year-old me, I would say that guitar you just bought, fucking play it every night instead of going out and partying, drinking, or or go find a band and that's terrible because you're terrible and go play it. I, I wish I was a much, much better guitar player, you know, because it would help me. But I never had enough time. All the time I was on the road, I I carried this guitar around. uh, I mean, all over the place. In, uh, let's see, 89 and 90 and 91, or 91, 92 maybe, uh, before I went to work for Tammy Wynette, I toured with Dave Alvin and he played it on stage every night. It's all beat up because of him. But I wish it was beat up because of me. But I just... Haven't had the time uh, I did buy um, a mod shop jazz master and uh, it's in our bedroom. And, you know, so I pick it up every now and then and bang around on it a little bit. It's easy, super easy to play. And, you know, it's that, you know, yeah, this, but I mean, I'm never going to be a guitar player. I'm going to be a guitar owner, Rhett. <laughs> That's what I'm going to be. I'm going to be a guitar owner. Oh, I'm going to be a drum everything. owner. I'm going to be a bass Owner, I'm going to be a keyboard owner. I own all of those things, you know, and I own them so that when you come to me, you have more tools that you can use, you it's know, funny. like an Acoustasonic Telecaster.
1: I love it. Well, uh, one, one thing I'm hearing, I think you say is that there really aren't shortcuts, right? Like you have to do all no. this stuff.
2: Well, I mean, look, going to a school, like I said, I teach the Blackbird kids, the Mm -hmm. Blackbird has a school, you know, that's not a shortcut. That's just more education. You have to do this. You, you have to put in the hours. You've got to, you've got to do the, you've got to walk in this world for a while and it's tough. I mean, right now, an eight-channel Apollo is three grand or something. MacBooks, a couple grand. Um, you can go to pawn shops and buy mic cables and some fifty-sevens and fifty-eights and some mic cables, or some mic stands. You know, you might need some headphones. Get some good, get some fairly okay speakers for a few hundred dollars. You're five or six thousand dollars at least into this, just to be able to record one guy, and that guy may be you. It may not be you, but keep doing it. Keep doing it and you'll keep learning things. You'll learn how this business, how it works. You'll learn how all of it. That's the most important part is just put your time in. There is no shortcut. There's no short and fast way to it. Um, Every now and then we come across somebody who is unbelievably talented. You know, um, I did a thing. I do this mentoring series on puremix.net. And uh, my buddy, Tyler Bryant, good, good friend, Tyler. uh, We had a track that we had puremix.net users mix. And one of them was so good that I actually felt like it was better than my mix. Well, Tyler hit him up, hit that kid up and same a mix. And now that kid is mixing Tyler's records. He's not a kid. He's like 22, 23, but he's in France. He's incredibly talented. So, Did he do a shortcut or just was he talented? You know, he was just talented. That's the deal. The the technical aspects of this, I mean, I know things that I'll never need to use again, probably. I know things that me teaching people about doesn't teach them anything. Like I, I could talk ad length about, 29.97 29.97 time code versus 30 frames time code and why 30 frames, 30 drop frame isn't 29.97 and 29.97 drop frame is, is different than 29.97 and then there's 24.97, you know, and all, this, <laughs> all these crazy things that nobody really know needs to know about until they need to know it, which is a whole nother deal. But, you, you know, you can go a long time in this business without even knowing why there's such a thing as 29.97 time code. You know, that's 29 frames, 29.97 frames per second, by the way.
1: Oh, my yeah. God.
2: But um, you, nobody needs to know that, <laughs> you know. Oh,
1: Vance, I love it. I, you know, I've, I've used up about twice as much of your time as I normally use uh, take from people. But I just I no. think you're I think you're so generous with your with your wisdom and you're so sweet and funny. And I really appreciate well, well, you.
2: Please feel free and edit out all the unnecessary parts.
1: I don't think we will. I don't think anything was unnecessary, even your mom's birthday, which happy birthday was, to you. Don't cool forget, thing. go call your mom.
2: I got to call her right now. Yeah, okay. I'm going to do it. Thanks you're,
1: for it. You're my man. Thank you so much, Vance.
2: Awesome. Hopefully, uh, maybe we'll be talking soon about something. Woo! Yes. <laughs> All, right. All right.
1: All right. Thank you so much for listening to Wheels Off. Please be sure to rate and review the show on iTunes, That helps us appear higher in the search results and lets other folks know that it's a cool podcast to listen to. Also, as the kids say, don't forget to subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or anywhere else that you listen to shows like this so that you never miss an episode. This has been Wheels Off, and I'm Rhett Miller, encouraging you to create every day. Thanks, y'all.
2: Bowie, Dylan, Marley. You've heard the names and maybe you've heard their songs, but what about the stories behind the records that made titans of music like these so universally loved and important? Join me, Josh Adam Meyers, host of The 500, as each week I go through a different album from Rolling Stone Magazine's 500 Greatest Albums list from 2012 with an incredible lineup of comedians, actors, and musicians talking about how the music has impacted their lives. New episodes of The 500 come out every Wednesday. Listen now wherever you get your podcasts.